down in First John. I, I want to apologize. Four, I bought the last one, Pastor Gardner. I don't know if you. Bible, I was listening. Uh, page eight sixty. But I wrote it to Queen Victoria, our Queen God at home. God loves and ours. My wife. That's what Dear we call Dear friends, her. let us love one and, another. Uh, for I'm not going to share with you God. what's inside. I'm going to share that Everyone with Everyone who loves has been born but, of God uh, and knows you know, it's God. It's so important for Whoever us to does tell not love does not know God, because God is love. That we love Him. This is how God showed His love upon us. And to us. try and do that, he sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live well, through Him. Well, Jesus said it in a command: "Love one another as I have loved you." This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as. as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so, we also ought to love one another. Not one has ever seen God, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. May God add a blessing to his word. You may be seated. Wow. Folks, we're having church. My land, this is just incredible. You know, you stick around long enough and something, something exciting is going to happen. And uh, you watch out, it might be you next time. You never know. We've got so many great things going on and just uh, exciting stuff. Appreciate uh, Joey's willingness to to really be our sermon this morning in Jennifer. I mean, that was just a, such a spectacular moment. He and St. Paul have something in common. They both got knocked onto their... <clears throat> so uh, read the story. It's a good one. It's in Acts. Well, today's Valentine's Day, and we think about that, and uh, it's a day where men line up at drugstores this afternoon if they haven't done it before. And they find that very special uh, card for their wife, the last one on the rack. And no matter what it says, if it's close, it's good enough. And it's the, uh, the kind of oops uh, day for many, but uh, there's a story about a wife wakes up in the morning. She says, honey, I just had a dream that you bought me a gold necklace for Valentine's Day. What do you think it means? And uh, he said, I don't know, but Valentine's Day is Tuesday, and then you'll know. A few nights later, she woke up uh, after having a dream. This time she says, I dreamed you gave me a pearl necklace. What do you think that means? Uh, you'll know Tuesday, he replied. The night before Valentine's Day then, she again woke up telling him that she had had another dream. This time she says, I dreamed that you bought me a diamond necklace. What do you think it means? He answered, honey, be patient. You'll know tonight. That evening, the husband came home with a package and gave it to his wife. Delighted, she opened it to find a book entitled, The Meaning of Dreams. Well, the idea of Valentine's Day is a fascinating one, lost certainly in the, in the merchandising of pink. <laughs> pink. <clears throat> pink. 
And, uh, but I, I thought it would be uh, just helpful to just review a little bit where that comes from and recognize the true value of uh, what should be uh, probably celebrated during this day. Uh, it, there, was a, there was a priest, and his name was Valentine. We call him St. Valentine. And uh, it was way back in 269 A.D., way back, a long time ago. And, and uh, this was during the time in Rome when Claudius was the, the emperor and, and uh, passed a law. And the law banned marriage because uh, he needed a, a more uh, prepared uh, army. And if men married, they tended to want to stay home. But uh, if they didn't marry, then there would be more uh, military for them. And so essentially outlined marriage, uh, outlawed marriage, and you can't get married. And so the church was told, because of Romans, uh, in Rome's influence, the uh, church was told that you can no longer marry any couples. Well, there was this one priest named Valentine, and he kept marrying couples. He just said it's the right thing to do to marry couples. Uh, the uh, family's a, a positive thing. So he continued to do that, and in that process... Um, he had to do it quietly and in secret. And so he became a stealth kind of uh, Marion Sam. And he married these couples. And uh, then one day he got caught. He got caught uh, doing a marriage and he was thrown in prison. And, uh, and even in prison, he continued to secretly marry couples as they would slip in to visit him uh, under the guise of visiting their priest. And they would come together, and he would marry them, even whispering the vows in that cell. And then one day, uh, uh, he got caught doing that inside, and of course, his, his, his death was, uh, was coming. He had been spending a lot of time with one of the jailer's daughters, just uh, chatting, a very sweet, sweet young lady. And, uh, and so he wrote something uh, in his final uh, hours of life. And uh, here's what he said, uh, just to keep, keep her, give her a note of encouragement. He said, uh, he, he signed this, this note, love from your Valentine. And it, it started the whole custom of what we call today a Valentine's Day greeting. And that was written on the day he died, February the 14th, 269 A.D. Uh, Valentine was a martyr for marriage. He was a martyr for the biblical idea of marriage. And so, uh, as we think about it, it really is kind of a special day in so many ways. And uh, those of us that are married appreciate that. And those that uh, are not, there's another kind of love that we're going to talk about this morning that impacts all of us. Uh, all of the world, people are celebrating love today, whether they're in love or not. And uh, they're finding ways to celebrate it. Some will do it uh, as Lindy and I did with a nice dinner the last evening. We found that things are filled up for tonight, especially if you don't try to, me, don't try, if you don't try to make reservations till the first of the week. I think I'm going to uh, make some calls today and make reservations for a year from today. And I might get in. So, uh, but it's a, it's a very special day. And uh, uh, it's also a day that's lonely for many people. Uh, very lonely, as you think about the contrast. Uh, Vince Packard said it this way. He said, when Vance said it, he says, we have a nation of strangers. A Gallup poll reported that four out of ten people admit frequent feelings of intense loneliness. How, how can you be so lonely in the midst of so many is kind of the, uh, the idea there. 
and, and we are. We tend to be. Uh, commercials are interesting. Uh, they, they don't sell a product. They sell an event. It, when I was watching the Super Bowl uh, commercials, which is, of course, much of the highlight of Super Bowl, however, this year, I must admit to all of you, it was a spectacular football game. It was actually more exciting than the commercials, which is quite odd, but uh, it really was. But in thinking about commercials, most often when the beer commercial comes up, if you'll notice something, they're not selling beer. They're, they're focusing on some kind of fellowship of people hanging out together, of watching something like a ball game or having some common experience. And sort of uh, built into it is the product. And uh, they tend to do it pretty well. And uh, then something like a catchphrase will come out that says, it doesn't get any better than this. And that's people having a good time laughing and then having a, a, an adult beverage in their hand. Well, it, there's some things, uh, it doesn't get better than this when that relationship is uh, with people and with God, the one who created relationships. And it isn't based upon uh, the adult beverage in your hand or what impact that might have on your life. When we think about the days like today, so often instead of the connection of love and fellowship and warmth and, and those kinds of relationships, some people really do feel that they're disconnected. And we want to we re be reminded that we're not. We live in community. And within the context of the body of Christ, we are connected together. Uh, we live in homes where we have fences. We have automatic garage door openers, so you can drive into the garage, put the door down, go into the house, and never see your neighbor. And uh, never even but wave maybe in the car if your windows aren't too tinted. So even then we block out people by how we even design uh, things like that. No longer do we have rockers on our porches unless you're at the Coulter's house, which has a porch and has rockers on their porch. But we're unique. I think we're the only people on our block that have rockers on our porch. And on occasion, if you were to drive by, you will see me in a rocker. Not Lindy, but Max and I will sit out there. And uh, we'll just wave at people, and they'll look at me like I am really the local nut. They clearly think that the, 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 that guy's off his rocker, as it were. And uh, you just kind of wave, you know, and say good morning or good afternoon. And, and uh, Folks just look and look, and then they'll smile. It's just a lost, it's a lost something about the connection of community. And so uh, you can go 15 floors in an elevator with eight people in it, and not one word exchanged. And if you say anything, you're an odd one. You ever notice how that works? You can stare at literally a door for two minutes, maybe, in an elevator without even recognizing all the people around you. It's, it's fascinating how we disconnect. But on this day, which is a lonely day for many, and it's also a day where we find a time to celebrate relationships as well. People find substitutes. Uh, the bars will be filled tonight uh, with people finding uh, some time of fellowship uh, together and oftentimes not remembering how much fellowship they really had or thought they had. Last fall... I did a series on when the church was family. And uh, the thesis of that series was the idea that spiritual formation or spiritual growth 
or spiritual development uh, occurs within the context of community. It, it occurs in the connecting points with people. And um, sharing our highs and our lows, our ups and our downs, our insights and our failures, sharing those things together and listening to one another's story, as we did this morning. And in those stories, we find the narrative continues. And God chooses to speak through narrative, through life narrative. That's the modern-day parable. It's the story of life. And as the story of life unfolds before us, we find connecting points. Some of you connected with Joey this morning in his story. Some of you connected with Mary in her testimony this morning about the Friday night group. Some of you will connect as we serve the Stepping Stones women tonight within the, that context of a Valentine celebration with uh, those women, our women back here, and their children. Some of you will do that with family today and in various other ways. And there's a connection, and that's when the church was family. And a couple things that he pointed out was, first, that this spiritual formation then occurs in the home, then in the church. And it's something that's supposed to be something that we have at home on a regular basis. And uh, that's what Hellermoon was trying to say in this, in this text. The connection that brings us all together, then, is the practice of living in this love. And uh, I would call it agape love. It's a, the Greek term for love. It's a different kind of definition of love than we ordinarily might think about. Ordinarily, we think of love as an emotion uh, or as a friendship. Uh, but here, we're talking about a love that loves for the sake of love. That is, the love in, in and of itself is the, is the outcome. There is no quid pro quo. It isn't, I will love you if you love me. It's just that God, it's God's love reflected through us to others. It is essentially and simply loving someone for the sake of love. Now, that is a powerful idea. And agape love is that kind of love. And matter of fact, any of the other kinds of love that you might experience, whether it's a, an emotional love or a romantic love or a friendship love, without agape love is less than its fullness. The fullness of any kind of relationship or love needs to simply come because it comes from God and there is not a, a, a bargaining in that love. And then if you put that together with romantic love or with friendship love, you have true love. And that is powerful. That's life transforming. That'll change us in our relationship with all others, with our children, with our families, with our parents, with any that there may be broken relationship, that's power to bring those relationships back into their existence. Dallas Willard says something in The Divine Conspiracy. He said, to understand Jesus' teaching, we must realize that deep in our orientations of our spirit, we cannot have one posture towards God and a different one towards other people. We're a whole being, and our true character pervades everything we do. We cannot, for example, love God and hate human beings. And then that brings us to our scripture in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 20 and 21 in the message says it this way. If anyone boasts, I love God, and does right, and goes right on hating his brother or his sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, he can, uh, how can he love the God he cannot see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. 
You've got to love him. You see, the agape love then has to be in the midst of all of our relationships. And it's a power that only the Holy Spirit can give us to actually love someone in spite of the circumstances that may have tried to divide us or may have successfully divided us or broken the relationship. If you put agape love into an attempt to have a relationship love, then there's something powerful that occurs. And that is a God-given power that can change that into a dynamic relationship that is really fruitful and has the fruit of the Spirit in it. In 1 John 4, 7 through 10, I read you this. Again, from the message to expand this. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. And so you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God shows his love to us. For he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He activated his love in Christ. So agape love uh, is, is there to enhance any other kind of relationship we have. And it comes directly from God himself. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the love chapter, we, we're familiar with that. We think that's pretty much the love chapter. But it's a, it's a powerful rendition of this agape love. It, here's how it defines it. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Powerful words of agape love. Most often we read this familiar passage telling us to be patient and kind and free from jealousy, and Willard says that Paul is plainly saying, look at his words, that it is love that does these things, not us. Love affects change. Love brings transformation. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, then, it, and it's, after that chapter, it starts with the first verse of the next chapter, it says these powerful words, Go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because love never dies. It's a power beyond our lives. It, li it has no limit. It is, it is God's love. It is agape love. If you haven't been transformed, you find it's a limited it's very limited to have a relationship with someone that has this kind of love without the power of God in your life. Um, you can't love your neighbor and certainly not your enemy. It was Bertrand Russell, a well-known agnostic. He's a British agnostic and uh, atheist, really. Uh, he was raised by a Christian family, but later he said this. He said, 
The Christian principle of love your enemies is good. There is nothing to be said against it except that it's too difficult for most of us to practice sincerely. Yes, because without a transformation, how would you love your neighbor? How would you love your enemy? How can you look at them as somebody that God made and created and gave life to separate than their actions? How do you do that? It's, uh, it eats us up when we hate, when we don't forgive. It then becomes a disease to us. It becomes a cancer. It violates us. It destroys us. It makes us unhealthy. It can eventually kill us. And yet, if we could love that person in spite of their actions, their deeds, and their destruction, we could find wholeness and peace. That's the power of God. That's what he has called us to do. Agape love exists for the sole benefit of the one being loved. It is the most powerful thing that you and I can share or do or say. Well, as you look on your outline, I guess I, I kind of got excited about that stuff. That's good stuff. The first thing, then, is the meaning of agape love, which we read in the 13th chapter of Corinthians. So that's the meaning. The second fill-in is the model of agape love, the model, how we live it. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, and a few verses beyond, says it this way. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's the, here's the model. And I pray that you bring that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That is, this is the model of God that we live in power, that we live in his love. We live deep and wide, high and low. We live everything in our lives in love. And that is the complete model of agape love. It's Jesus. In the four, first John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how we know that he loves us. John 3.16, the most familiar verse to many of us in the Bible, says, For God so loved the world that he gave. And it's a, it's a giving that isn't just because we have to respond, it's a giving to allow us to respond. We're not required to respond. That would be a quid pro quo. That would be a, uh, he gives us his love based upon the fact that we must respond. We don't have to respond. Love in and of itself is a power that sustains itself because it is power. It is God. And, and then it comes to us, and when we respond, it's transforming. It's life-changing. We'll never be the same. In the third fill-in you have, then the ministry of agape love. It's the ministry that we see in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. It says these words. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, here's the wardrobe. Here's what God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, even temperament, contentment, and second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly 
and as completely as the master forgave you, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. Wow. When you get up in the morning, got those old jammies on, you go into the closet, you can figure out what am I going to wear today. You know, going to wear this one, going to wear that one. I mean, it's just very practical. Just put on love. You put on love. Now, go ahead and please put something else on, or you're going to be in bigger trouble. And uh, I can't imagine on the police report, when you're walking down the street, that the, the police report says naked man, it will not say that he had the garment of love. But we're to wear that. St. Augustine put it this way. He said in response to what agape love looks like, he says, it has hands to help others, feet to hasten to the poor and needy, eyes to see misery and want, ears to hear the signs and the sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. Well, I'm going to end with a story. It's a a fascinating story. It's a story I I read many years ago, and I was uh, looking through some old books this this week and uh, thinking through this this subject of agape love. And uh, Father John Powell, a, a, a Catholic priest, psychologist, wrote a series of books uh, way back in the 60s, and, uh, and poems and thoughts, and, and a very penetrating idea. And in one of those, he wrote a story, and a true story that happened to him as he was a professor at Loyola University in Chicago. And he writes about a student in his theology of faith class named Tommy. And, and I want you to hear this story because it embraces so many of the events around each of our lives And in some ways, it embraces Joey's uh, Joey's story this morning, and hopefully most of ours in some way. So listen in to this this description of a life-transforming event that occurred out of a classroom in a university. At the time, he wrote it this way. Some 12 years ago, I stood watching my university students file into the classroom for our first session of Theology of Faith. That was the day I first saw Tommy. My eyes and my mind both blinked, and he was combing his long flaxen hair, which hung six inches below his shoulders. It was the first time I'd ever seen a boy with hair that long. I guess it was just coming into fashion then. I know in my mind that it isn't what's on your head, but it's what's in your heart that counts. But On that day, I was unprepared, and my emotions flipped. I immediately filed Tommy under S for strange, very strange. Tommy turned out to be the atheist in residence in my Theology of Faith course. He constantly objected to and smirked at or whined about the the possibility of an unconditionally loving Father God We lived with each other in relative peace for one semester, although I admit he was for me at times a serious pain in the back pew. Well done. When he came up to the end of the course to turn in his final exam, he asked in a cynical tone, do you think I'll ever find God? I decided instantly on a little shock therapy. No, I responded. Why not, he responded. I thought that it was the product that you were peddling. 
I let him get five steps from the classroom door, and then I called out, Tommy, I don't think you'll ever find him, but I'm absolutely certain that he will find you. He shrugged his shoulders a little bit and left my class and my life. I felt slightly disappointed at the thought that he had missed my clever line. He, he'll find it. At least I thought it was clever. Later I heard that Tommy had graduated and I was duly grateful. <laughs> then a sad report came. I heard that Tommy had terminal cancer. Before I could search him out, he came to see me. When he walked into my office, his body was very badly wasted, and the long hair had fallen out as a result of the chemotherapy. But his eyes were bright, and his voice was firm. And for the first time, I believe, Tommy, I thought about you often, I said. I hear you're sick, I blurted out. Oh yes, very sick, he said. I have cancer in both lungs, it's a matter of weeks. Can you talk about it, Tom? I asked. Sure, what would you like to know, he replied. Well, what's it like to be only 24 and dying? Well, it could be worse, he said. Like what? I asked. Well, like being 50 and having no values or ideals, like being 50 and thinking that booze and seducing women and making money are the real biggies in life. I began to look through my mental file cabinet under S for Strange, where I'd filed Tommy. It seemed as though everybody I tried to reject by classification, God sends back into my life to educate me. <laughs> But what I really came to see you about, Tom said, is something you said to me on that last day of class. Ah, he remembered. He continued, I asked you if you thought I would ever find God, and you said no, which surprised me. Then you said, but he'll find you. I thought about that a lot, even though my search for God was hardly intense at that time. My clever line, he thought about it, hmm. But when the doctors removed a lump from my growing area and told me that it was malignant, that's when I got serious about locating God. And when the malignancy spread into my vital organs, I really began banging bloody fists against the bronze doors of heaven. But God did not come out. In fact, nothing happened. Did you ever try anything for a long time with a great effort with no success? You get psychologically glutted, fed up with trying, and then you quit. Well, one day I woke up, and instead of throwing a few more futile appeals over that high brick wall to a God who may be or may not be there, I just quit. I decided that I didn't really care about God, about an afterlife or anything like that. I decided to spend what time I had left doing something more profitable. I thought about you and your class, and I remembered something you had, had said. The essential sadness is to go through life without loving. But it would be almost equally sad to go through life and leave this world without ever telling those you loved that you had loved them. So I began the hardest one for me, my dad. 
He was reading in the newspaper when I approached him. Dad? Yes, what? He didn't even lower his newspaper. Dad, I'd like to talk to you. Well, talk. I mean, it's really important. The newspaper came down a little bit. What is it? Dad, I love you. I just wanted you to know that. Tom smiled at me and said it was with obvious satisfaction, as though he felt a warm and secret joy flowing inside of him. The newspaper fluttered to the floor. Then my father did two things I could never remember him ever doing before. He cried and he hugged me. We talked all night, even though he had to go to work the next morning. It felt so good to be close to my father, to see his tears, to feel his hug, to hear him say that he loved me. It was easier for my mother and my little brother. They cried with me, too, and we hugged each other and started saying nice things to each other. We shared the things that we had been keeping secret for so many years. I was only sorry about one thing, that I had waited so long. Here I was, just beginning to open up, and all the people I'd actually been close to, I was speaking to. Then one day I turned around, and God was there. He didn't come to me when I pleaded with him. I guess I was like an animal trainer holding out a hoop. Come on, jump through. Come on, God. I'll give you three days. I'll give you three weeks. Apparently, God does things his own way and in his own time. But the important thing is that he was there. He found me. You were right. He found me even after I'd stopped looking for him. Tommy, I said, I think you're saying something very important and much more universal than you may realize. To me, at least, you're saying that the surest way to find God is not to make him a private possession, a problem solver, or an instant consolation to times of need, but rather by opening to love. You know, the Apostle John said it this way. He said, God is love, and anyone who lives in love is living with God, and God is living in him. Tom, could I ask you a favor? You know, when I had your class, you were a real pain. <laughs> but you can make it all up to me now. Would you come into my present theology of faith class and tell them what you told me? If I told them the same story, it wouldn't be the same. You need to tell it. Oh, I was ready for you, Prof, but I don't know if I'm going to be ready for your class. Tom, think about it. If and when you are ready, give me a call. In a few days, Tom called. He said he was ready for the class, that he wanted to do it, and he wanted to do it for God and for me. So we scheduled the date. However, he never made it. He had another appointment, far more important than the one with me in my class, of course. His life was really, really not ended by his death, simply changed. He made the great step from faith into vision. 
He found a life far more beautiful than the eye of man has ever seen or the ear of man has ever heard or the mind of man has ever imagined. Before he died, we talked one last time. I'm not going to make it to your class, he said. I know, Tom. Will you tell them for me? Will you tell the whole world for me? I will, Tom. I'll tell them. I'll do my best. And Mr. Powell then said, so to all of you who have been kind enough to hear this simple story about God's love, thank you for listening. And to you, Tommy, somewhere in the sunlit, verdant hills of heaven, I told them, Tommy, I told them as best I could. I told them. Joey, you told us. We heard it again this time with flesh on. And for all of us on this Valentine's Day, may the unlimited love of God, the agape love of God, fill each and every one of us in his power that only can come through the very ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, you have graced us not only with a great passage of scripture from, from John's writing, for the true concept of what love is is clarified in your word, your love letter to us, but in a flesh and blood testimony of a young man that we, we love and, and have seen now a transformation in a life and hope where there might have been hopelessness. We thank you for what you have done and what you're doing. And Lord, for each and every one of us, we each pray together that you would infuse us with your agape love, with the forgiveness that we can live in, in the presence of God. And for the sake of love, to live our lives out now, the rest of our days. In Jesus' name we pray.